And welcome to the Geomologist Presents. I feel like I'm a day late and a dollar short, but hopefully I won't short you guys on a good episode. I'm trying to catch up in this RPG a day, week 2022, week two. This is a cool program by Dave Chapman, who has designed, you might know him for designing the Doctor Who rule set. And Anthony Runeslinger Boyd of Casting Shadows Podcast, who came up with this really cool idea to celebrate RPGs. And uh, here in week two, you know, it's kind of neat. We have the series of questions, who, what, when, where, why, how, and a special thing to do on the seventh day of the week. And this week, they're pretty cool questions, and I've got some answers for you, but I also got a few call-ins from the previous RPG A Day 2022 episode that I put out. Call-ins from Jason Connerly and Colin Green. Jason Connerly of Nerds RPG Variety Cast and Colin Green from Spike Pit. And I'll put their calls on first. We'll hear what they got to say. And I'll try to answer them and then get into the questions. So here we go. Up first, Jason Connerly. Carry on my wayward son. There'll be peace when you are done. Lay your weary head to rest. Don't you cry no Hey Carl, Jason here. Just listened to your latest episode, your RPG Day episode, and wanted to comment that I agree with you. Metacurrency works well in Savage Worlds. Now, for the people that say you can't do Savage Worlds gritty, one of the ways to do a more gritty Savage Worlds are to do things like make it so the heroes don't get the extra, you know, the six-sided die when they roll their stat, when they roll their tests, or to take away bennies altogether from the game, or you know, so. So you could play without them, but really, Savage Worlds is built around bennies, right? Uh, yeah, the Benny economy, and, and it works really well in that game. Just like Barbarians, Lemuria works really well with the meta currency. So some games work really well with the meta currency, and I'm all for that. And I think if it helps the game and helps the feel of the game, it's a good thing. Unlike games like 7th Edition Call of Cthulhu, where, you know, it changes the game. That said... If that's the game people want to play, there's nothing wrong with it. So if people enjoy playing Kitty Warhammer or they enjoy playing Call of Cthulhu with the ability push rolls and stuff, which isn't really a meta currency, then definitely that's the version. If that group agrees that's what they like playing, that's what they should play. There's no good, wrong, you know, there's no bad, wrong fun, right? And I'm definitely not advocating that. But I agree with you that some games really are built around that meta currency, and I think Savage Worlds really is one of them, which is why even when you strip all that that out to make it gritty, it really doesn't do gritty as well as maybe some other systems. But when you use Savage Worlds for the cinematic play it's designed for, you know, it really fires on all eight cylinders. It's really a great system. So, anyhow, I'm looking forward to your future episodes. 
Really enjoyed playing in Amy's birthday game, and I will talk to you soon. Hey, Jason, thanks for the call, except for that comment on Kitty Warhammer again, and I always take the bait. Since this talk is about fate points, well, I will tell you that all the incarnations of the Warhammer Fantasy game have fate points. Even Warhammer Fantasy 1 had fate points, with humans getting the most and elves not getting as much, dwarves, halflings, and gnomes getting somewhere in between. So fate points could really, like, they were really used in Warhammer 1, you know, to prevent you from dying in combat or through traps and accidents or through poison and disease. So you, it would just happen and then you the scene would fade to black and you would wake up the next time. So when you were dropped to like zero wounds, um, you just find yourself in, you know, in prison, you know, wake up when you get hit by the flat of the blade, the example they give, knock yourself out. You're still at zero wounds. You wake up captured and but you're still alive so and that was the same and very similar in warhammer fantasy 2 except you got to re-roll warhammer fantasy 3 you also got to re-roll and there are other things dealing with fiddly bits and funny dice or you know the kind of the genesis type dice and then in warhammer fantasy 4 they finally codified it and streamlined it so that it is re-rolls um Second edition and fourth edition are very similar. There's re-rolls, but you could, and it didn't necessarily stave off or make you not have the traps or accidents or poison or disease. You would re-roll those to see if you failed or not. Uh, not just spend a point, you know, when you're supposed to die and then come back, like in Warhammer 1. So 2 and 4 have kind of have it similar. And you also have a, a meta currency called Resolve, and, you know, so it's, Fortune and fate, fortune points you spend for rerolls or to increase your successes, you spend them permanently um, to prevent death and resolve and resilience. Resolve staves off um, any sort of condition you might have, while resilience um, will permanently remove certain conditions or certain things that can, you know prevent you from succumbing to, I would say, like corruption or uh, panic or things like, or getting beaten really badly by a bad guy who has great advantage on you through a various series of combat encounters back and forth. So I guess I really don't understand where people who poo-poo the second and then fourth edition are what they remember about fate points. Cause it seems fate points in first edition are much more powerful because you just erase the bad thing that happened to you without a reroll, at least in with fortune in and the fate point use in second and fourth edition, you reroll and it may or may not be better. And in the case of the, our fourth edition game, uh, I know at least one case where it wasn't better. And it blew up the whole party, the situation, really hurting them. And, I mean, I've had character death in all incarnations of Warhammer Fantasy that I've run and played in, um, with the latest one being in our fourth edition game, where a player actually lost a contest 
uh, during a fight and the adversary scored a critical. The critical resulted in the player character's arm being chopped off and he died. But uh, he spent a fate point permanently to not die, wake up uh, in the next scene, um, still alive, very injured, and missing an arm. So there you go. That's my kitty version of Warhammer, which seems actually more deadly than any Warhammer game that I've played um, before. So, and you still can spend those fate points. All right. So meta currency in general. And I think I will also, I mean, it does work great. It's built into the system in Savage Worlds. You can dumb it down by giving less bennies or even giving more bennies to the bad guys. Uh, Wildcard bad guys generally have a set of bennies as well, um, as well as the GM having a general pool of bennies to use against the player characters. And that's something that's interesting that, you know, that back and forth meta currency, we have Doom and Fortune or whatever in the 2D20 games and I know that Joe Salvatore and Reaver has this sort of uh, idea of uh, our resolve, and I think he has peril as a GM meta currency, and I think that's kind of cool. I love that in the Fantasy Flight incarnation of Star Wars, where you had force points and dark force points or whatever, and and could use them, and they kind of go they flip back and forth, right? So if you started using your force points, the dark force are, you'd have, I think it says light side and dark side, right? It's all force points. But if you started using your light side points, then I would accumulate dark for, dark side points. And then when I spent my dark side points, did go back to light to kind of maintain a balance, which I thought was kind of a neat idea. And I, I feel like maybe not in like classic Call of Cthulhu, the way it's played, your normal humans, um, they do have the luck, which is an optional rule. I've seen it used um, in convention games, even, you know. But what I think it was kind of neat is the way the luck mechanic and pushing the roll, et cetera, work in Pulp Cthulhu. It makes for heroes that get stuff done, use luck to kind of spend some points uh, to make things happen that might otherwise not happen. And, it's, you know, sometimes, you know, you, you can preempt the occurrence and decide what you're going to do. But I think I've learned at least as a GM and, and good GMs that I've been under will prompt before they describe what happens, either pushing the role or using luck to mitigate um, the outcome, which I think is good, especially in pulp where you want the heroes to be larger than life. And um, yeah. So, well, thanks for the calls. Uh, there are my, you know, taking the bait because I'm a dumb fish uh, against your Warhammer crack and explaining meta currency. So next we got a call from Colin Green. Um, 
deep into my ICRPG at the moment. But every time I listen to an episode, you're talking about and reminding me of games that I need to get played. Arfed has run one session of the latest Warhammer Fantasy and man I did really enjoy that so hopefully pretty soon he's going to run us through some more of that but the other one and the one that I still haven't played despite owning the rules and that is um, Savage Worlds Adventure Edition I need a plan to get that game under my belt it sounds super like something that I would enjoy that kind of action-packed play the, uh, I like the idea of the, the meta currency and every time you describe it I find myself itching to play so hmm I don't know I need a plan mate I need a plan anyway hope you will take care and I'll catch you later hey Colin thank you for the call yeah I, you gotta get Savage Worlds to the table with you at some point I really enjoy it and a lot of people do and there's so many different worlds i guess you can i mean i really like deadlands i think deadlands for example works great with savage worlds but um there's a lot of other options and choices so i think that's just great about the savage worlds adventure edition and as far as warhammer goes i hope you have a great time with it i really enjoy the fourth edition i think the starter set's really good um or you we've also run uh, kind of books or sorry adventures out of the uber strike adventure series which is um kind of one shots more or less and they don't have to form a series but they can and i think that together with the starter set can really give you a good mini campaign um yeah so so yeah i hope you enjoy playing those games and get those to the table so now let's um let's look at rpg a day week two and start answering some of those questions yeah this week is a little weird so for me so who introduced me to rpgs is kind of me i think i've mentioned that i received the mold bay basic 1981 set christmas time night you know and um yeah i introduced myself to it i had seen the monster manual on the shelves at like Michael's and I had picked that up, but didn't really have a rule set. And this was the rule set I asked for. And I guess I introduced it to myself, which is kind of strange and different, but it's interesting. So the second RPG that I got or I bought was actually Star Frontiers. And uh, I used to have a box set. What's really interesting actually. So the, uh, let me jump back a little bit. For Christmas, like I played, I got the box set, opened it, played with my cousin. I don't think he plays anymore. Anyway, the second box set I got was a Star Frontiers box set, which is a really cool little set. I I don't have my original copy, but a friend of mine left it to me. Um, but it's kind of neat. It has expanded rules, the basic game rules, hole punched. Uh, I have character record sheets in mine, a little alien book, a couple maps, including one really cool like a two-panel map of a wilderness. Um, and I got, I think in this box, that I, not just do I have um, the first adventure, Stranded, I think it's called uh, Stranded on Volturnus, I believe. 
Anyway, lots of little maps and handouts. What's it? Let me see. I know I have it right here. Crash on Volturnus. It's in here. But I also got the referee screen, and it has a little mini adventure, like a, a small mini adventure um, mini module. And uh, it's really cool. It's a really cool set. You know, who's it's authored. I think it's authored by, let me see. I know the adventures are, it says design staff. Oh, Steve Winter did the editing. That's pretty neat. Larry Elmore with the really cool covers. But I, I believe the, the um, adventure module, let me see. Um, the adventure module. Crash on Volturnus, Mark Akers, Tom Moldvay, Doug Niles. So, and then the Assault on Starship Omicron, Mark Akers, and Tom Moldvay. It's a pretty cool box set. Um, honestly, it's the second one I bought uh, way back, back in middle school. And I think I, well, I started game mastering like right away. Um, that's number 10. When did you, when did you start game mastering? And that was like right away when I got the set. And I, I guess for regular, it was it was kind of that year in the spring in middle school. I met this uh, guy who also was into, you know, into this kind of stuff. And we played and I ran him through some basic games. I think Keep on the Borderlands and then modified it. And uh, it was really weird. So when I went to school, when I went to college, um, I had I think his uh, his girlfriend ended up being my lab partner in a uh, in chemistry like one of the base you know beginner chemistry and uh, when she mentioned his name like the blah 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 and I'm like did he live ask him if he lived you know San Antonio way back in the early eighties and it was like the same guy and he happened to have gone. Um, to harvard too which was weird he didn't play anymore though he was actually became the editor of the uh the harvard crimson um newspapers he was more into journalism and honestly don't know what he's doing now but that was just kind of weird that the guy I played with the middle school i ended up going to the same university so i guess he was he was kind of pleased not that i played D, but that i guess people could amount to someone and something in san out of san antonio i don't know it was kind of weird, but kind of cool. Um, oh, Star Frontiers, I had a little anecdote, too. I, the guy that I played with um, back in, in middle school in Star Frontiers when we ran campaigns and stuff, uh, the Volturna Cycle and other things, he actually still lives in San Antonio. I have it, I'm friends with him on Facebook, Instagram, whatever. And uh, I guess what's he owns a gun shop. I haven't gone by. I should go by and say hi, but that's just kind of strange. Um if I could live in a game setting, where would it be? Actually, listen to BJ Boyd's uh, Arcane Alienist. And, you know, I would want to live in a post-scarcity society like Star Trek. Um, maybe maybe Traveler, although Traveler is kind of a weird uh, golden age of sci-fi, not contemporary sci-fi. So maybe, you know, another post-scarcity society like uh, the Mind Jammer. Set something sci-fi, something where we're out in space, but not like where space sucks, like the expanse or or hostile or something. And but traveler seems a lot nicer and cleaner. Um, Mind jammer is also post scarcity society, at least if you live in the core worlds, and um, it kind of 
fits more with this sort of transhuman idea of where sci-fi has gone and going, kind of like Werner, lots of inspiration from Werner Vinge's uh, Deepness in the Sky, Fire Upon the Deep, um, and his latest book, which I have, but I haven't read yet, the sort of a, a sequel to uh, to A Fire Upon the Deep, I believe, or one of those two books. So yeah, um, that's where I would live. I don't know if I, I would not want to live in a medieval society. Um, I would not want to live in 1920s uh, Call of Cthulhu-verse or anything like that. So uh, yeah, sci-fi in the future, maybe things will be nicer. Um, so pretty cool. Why did I start RPGing? I think because it was a neat thing and I read Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit and watched the cartoons that came around around that time uh, from those and um, that's kind of why. And then sci-fi, I read a lot of sci-fi back then, classic sci-fi, uh, Asimov, Heinlein, Niven, um, etc. And, and yeah, I think Frederick Pohl was another big influence, CJ Chera, um, things like that. So it's a pretty cool of oh, Dune for sure. So, you know, I, I, I think I started because I played, I wanted to play in the fiction from the books that I read, both for fantasy and sci-fi. So I think that's why I started playing. And um, Now, the next one is it more challenging. How would I change the way you started RPGing? Maybe I'll try to get more family involved. It was just kind of me and friends that I had met out in the world. Definitely try to get more people involved um, instead of having it just a few friends. It's just different back then, right? Um, their whole like satanic panic of the 80s was around and it wasn't like something you wore on your sleeve like you do nowadays. Now you can be loud and proud and be a gamer. And back then it was, you know, you got beat up for being a nerd. Um, so, right. So I don't know. I think I would change by probably including family more. I mean, I, I know I try to get one of my sisters to get into it, but she never did. Although she did like Pendragon later when we were in high school. So just she liked Arthurian legend and mythos and that kind of appealed to her. Um, so pretty cool. All right. The last thing, suggestion Sunday, which would be tomorrow. Roll a D8 plus one and tag that many friends and suggest a new RPG to try. You know, I might do that tomorrow, and I might try to tag them and convince them to play Star Frontiers. Um, I don't know. I, I have my audio, my, not the audio dungeon Discord, but I have my own little GM's Laboratory Discord page that a buddy of mine set up, and he and I am our moderators on it. So maybe I'll tag some people in that, and hey, let's play. Let's break out the Star Frontiers, make some characters play a crash on Volturnus. I actually got the reprints of the Volturnus cycle as well. Um, Star Spawn. Sorry. Uh, what is it called? It's SF1 and SF2. Volturnus Planet of Mystery and Star Spawn of Volturnus. So um, it'd be kind of neat to do. Well, that's my week wrap up. Maybe I'll get a tag tomorrow or I'll just make it all inclusive and put it in the future games. But um, yeah, kind of fun. Let's get into some nostalgia. Star for Tears is a game, and, and this box set does mean a lot to me because it's a friend from a given to me from a friend of mine who passed away. He actually gave me 
this Star Frontiers Nighthawks, the Mega Traveler box set, um, which is uh, kind of neat as well. So, so yeah, pretty cool stuff. Anyway, uh, thanks for listening. And uh, if you want to contact me, you can leave me a message on Anchor still. You can send me an email at uh, geomologist at gmail.com. I'd like to thank uh, TJ Drennan for the intro and outro music. My caller is Jason Connerly and Colin Green. Amy does the clip art for the cover of the show. Cover, clip art, clip art, cover. Anyway, thanks for listening again, and I will talk to you soon.